Hi, everybody. This is Jimmy DeYoung. Thanks for taking a moment to join us as we take a look at the book. We're going to be studying about what is going to happen soon after the rapture of the church during the seven-year tribulation period. I have in my hand a copy of a five-hour audio study on CD entitled Clear and Present Danger. In other words, what is happening in our world, warning signs of the dangers that lie ahead for this world. And we need to think about these things together. We're coming to our third installment of this particular study, and it's entitled Preparations for Ecclesiastical Babylon. Now, I said this happens soon after the rapture of the church, so this is a must. If we can see this coming into position to be fulfilled, then we are quickly approaching the time of the rapture of the church. What is ecclesiastical Babylon? Well, that's what I'm going to be teaching here. So if you can take just a moment, we'll listen together to installment number three of a series entitled Clear and Present Danger, and this one, Preparations for Ecclesiastical Babylon. Let's listen, and I'll be back to tell you how you can get your copy of this series. We want to focus on chapter 17, because I would entitle this clear and present danger, I would entitle it the preparations for ecclesiastical Babylon, or for a false church that has a relationship to Babylon. In verse 5, it basically gives us what we're talking about as it relates to Babylon, Babylon the Great, Babylon the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. And it goes ahead to describe how everything is going to come into existence. Quickly, let me go back with you to the book of Genesis chapter 7, where Babylon is brought, excuse me, chapter 11, where Babylon is brought into existence. You might remember as you look at the book of Genesis, Genesis 1, creation, 2, the special effects of creation, Genesis chapter 3, the fall of man, chapter 4, the story of Cain and Abel, chapter 5, a genealogy, chapter 6, 7, and 8, Noah and the flood, chapter 9, Noah after the flood, chapter 10, another genealogy, chapter 11, the tower of Babel, and then the great-grandson of Noah comes forth to go in the face of God, and instead of being fruitful and multiplying and replenishing the earth, as was the command from God to Noah in chapter 9 and verse 1, instead of doing that, the great-grandson of Noah concludes that he must bring together a kingdom in one location, a political operation, first of all, but we'll see it's a religious operation as well. Verse 10 of chapter 10 says, In the beginning of his kingdom, talking about Nimrod, the beginning of his kingdom was Babel in the land of Shinar, which would be Mesopotamia, the land between the two rivers, the plains of Shinar, between the, Mesopot uh, between the Tigris River and the Euphrates River, or what we would know as modern-day Iraq. And so it was that he went to this particular location to build a great city. Chapter 11. And it tells us in verse 4 that that's exactly what he moved to do. And he said, go to, let us build us a city. Again, God said to be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth, repeople the earth. He said, let's come to this location and build a city. Now look at the rest of verse 4. 
and a tower whose top may reach into heaven. And let us make us a name lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. The second operation that he established, our institution, was a religiosity. Let us build us a city. That's a political operation. Now he said, let us build us a tower whose top may reach into heaven. Truth is, last place he wanted to go was into heaven. But that obelisk, that tower, symbolic of a religion that he wanted to establish, and he was going to establish in this population center, the only population center on the face of the earth, the only place where people were alive and living. God's going to take care of that momentarily, but notice what he's doing. He's going to set up a political operation, a one-world government, by the way, and now he's going to establish a religiosity, building a tower, a worship center, lest we be scattered upon the face of the earth, because we are going to choose another God. We're not going to be scattered upon the face of the earth. We don't like Jehovah God. We don't like what he says, so we'll just make another God. We'll make another God. And and, and by the way, uh, that is exactly what he did. Uh, Extra biblical writings, and I was first basically introduced to this uh, by Dr. John Walford, the late John Walford, who, uh, you know, for many years was president of Dallas Theological Seminary, a great, we called him the uh, prophecy pope uh, as far as uh, teaching prophecy. And uh, in his commentary on Revelation, he brought to my attention how all of the, what is referred to in Revelation chapter 17, verse 5, Babylon, the mother of all harlots, in light of the fact that we're talking about a false church in chapter 17 in an ecclesiastical Babylon, how it all began back in Babylon. The concept of a one world government beginning 4,500 years ago after the flood in Babel, in Babylon, but at the same time, a false religion, a one-world religion. According to these extra-biblical writings, Nimrod had a wife, her name was Semiramis. And they had a son, supposedly, uh, by a miraculous conception, his name was Tammuz. And as this religiosity was established, they were co-equal recipients in worship in this new religion. They basically were the beginnings of a mother-son cult. Uh, Both of them are referred to in Scripture either by name or by position. In the book of Jeremiah, go to Jeremiah just a moment, chapter 7. In the book of Jeremiah, we see Semiramis, not referred to by her name, Semiramis, but instead by her position, the queen of heaven. Chapter 44 of the book of Jeremiah, four different times, four or five different times, refers to her as the queen of heaven. Jeremiah, a prophet unto the nations, warning them that this false religion, which has the relationship and the leadership of the queen of heaven, is a satanic religiosity. In fact, he is so uh, blatant about it. He tells God through Jeremiah, tells the people not even to pray for the followers of this false religion headed up by the queen of heaven. 
Notice in verse 16 of chapter 17. Therefore, and I'm taking this text now. You've got to read the entire context. Time will not allow us to do it. But look at verse 16. Therefore, pray not thou for this people, neither lift up cry nor prayer for them, neither make intercession for them, for I will not hear thee. You can pray for them, but I'm not even going to hear you. Don't pray for them. Verse 18, the children gather wood and the fathers kindle the fire and the women knead their dough to make cakes, hot cross buns, basically, to the queen of heaven. He said, don't pray for this queen of heaven. Semiramis, referred to in Jeremiah. Slip over to the book of Ezekiel just a moment. Chapter 8. The book of Ezekiel unfolds how Ezekiel, a priest prophet, is taken into the Babylonian captivity in 597 BC, the second wave of Nebuchadnezzar coming into Jerusalem. He takes uh, these Jews on, with Ezekiel, about 10,000 of them, up to the Chabar River, which is a tributary off the Euphrates River, to a place called Tel Aviv. Not the Tel Aviv of Israel, but a Tel Aviv that was in the area of Babylon at that time, not far out of the uh, downtown area of Babylon itself. There, Ezekiel receives a message of retribution by which he is to preach to the Jewish people what God is going to do. In his receiving of this message of retribution, I believe God literally grabs Ezekiel by the nap of the hair. I can't see how this would be a vision when you grab by the nap of the hair. And he is taken back to Jerusalem. I think he literally takes him back to Jerusalem. They enter the holy city. There the temple is still standing because it'll be a couple of years later, approximately 11 years later, in 586, when the temple is going to be destroyed. And the reason the temple is going to be destroyed is because of all the idolatrous activities that are taking place there. God brings Ezekiel up. He sees the image of jealousy and oblique standing. And I can't even tell you what that represents. It's so vulgar in mixed company. I cannot relate to you what that represents. But he sees that at the altar's entrance into the temple. God brings Ezekiel inside the temple. He sees portraits of idolatry all over the walls inside the temple. He sees priests, 25 of them, with their back to the Holy of Holies. Their face should have been to the Holy of Holies. That's where the glory of the Lord hovered over the Ark of the Covenant. And instead of their face and honoring and glorifying Him, their backs to the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies, and their faces looking to the east and worshiping the sun, S-U-N. And he continues to look, and he sees a convent of virgins. If you got chapter 8, look over here. You can read chapter 8 and read about it. But then in verse 14, Then he brought me to the door of the gate of the Lord's house, which was toward the north. And behold, there sat women weeping for Tammuz, this son of the mother-son cult that was established at Babylon a number of years before. This fall, about 2,500 years ago, the flood, 4,500 years ago. So in that period of 2,000 years, it had evolved or devolved is probably the better terminology unto an an adulterous worship of supposedly the God of all creation. And they're told not to pray for, be involved with, oh, by the way, 
You know how they worshipped the mother or the queen of heaven? Uh, They would take hard-boiled eggs, symbolic of Babylon. Go to Zechariah. They take, don't go there, don't go go there, you're so obedient. Uh, But in in Zechariah, it talks about the egg, which is the symbol of Babylon. They would paint up these hard-boiled eggs. They would place them in the fields. They would give the little children baskets, and on this special holy day called Ishtar, they would go out in the fields and let the children gather in these multicolored eggs and bring them into the family gathering. Sound familiar? And that activity taking place as these women would worship Tammuz weeping for him, the mother-son cult operating. Thanks for taking a moment to join us right here as we've taken a look at the book. When we go to the Word of God, in particular the book of Revelation chapter 17, we can see everything coming together as we have been studying the preparations for ecclesiastical Babylon. It's happening faster than we can even report to you. In fact, what we talked about on this study, to some extent, has become old hat. There are events unfolding on a daily basis. You can go to our website and we'll keep you abreast of all of those current events. Our website address is prophecytoday.com. While you're there, by the way, why don't you go to our shopping mall and you'll find out how you can purchase your own copy of Clear and Present Danger. That's the study we've been going through today. It's a five-hour study on CD, and it will be available to you at our website. Or you can call our toll-free number, 877-674-3298, and our staff is standing by to take your order. Again, that number, 877-674-3298. It's a toll-free number from all across America. By the way, this study today, Preparations for Ecclesiastical Babylon, give us evidence that we are quickly approaching the time of the rapture of the church. And all I have left to say after making that statement and listening to our study is let's keep looking up until...